Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. And I want to pick up where we left off last week. And if you're new here, maybe you're new to this series, maybe you have been hitting the sheets a little bit on Sunday mornings. Uh, I'll give you a little uh, background about where the story has been and then where we find ourselves today. So if we forward up to the next slide here, we'll see. Uh, we're talking about the story of Joseph. And here's the thing about the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph is a wisdom story. It actually follows the pattern of ancient Egyptian wisdom stories. So the story of Joseph is all about how do we grow in wisdom. I don't know about you, but I sure could use some more wisdom in my life. Anyone else? More wisdom? Okay, I see about half of us, so the rest of you, man, please, I, like, I'm going to come down and... Yeah, I'm sure we all could use more wisdom in our lives. I believe it's what God desires for us. God desires to impart spirit-filled wisdom so that we can follow Christ with all who we are. So the story of Joseph, at the heart of it, it's a wisdom story. How do we grow and acquire more wisdom? Now, the story of Joseph begins with this coat, and he is rejected by his family, by his brothers. He's sold by his brothers. I know you looked at that a couple of weeks ago. And then eventually he finds his way down to Egypt, where he is sold to an Egyptian official by the name of Potiphar. He ends up in his home, and if you were there for that week, you know that that didn't end so well for Joseph. Falsely accused in the wrong place at the wrong time, he ends up in prison. He is imprisoned for two whole years. And that's where we are going to pick up our story this morning. We're going to be in chapter 41 of Genesis, which is all the way to the left of your Bible, pretty much right there in the beginning of it. And in chapter 41, we are told Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh, he is the leader, the ruler of Egypt, the one who possesses all of the power. He's the big daddy in Egypt. He has this dream. It's a pretty odd dream, which then raises the question for us, what in the world did he eat before he went to bed that night? Right, you're wondering that, right? Like, he has this dream. He dreams about seven cows that are extremely well-fed. Uh, maybe he was at a burger joint the night before, not too sure. There's seven cows, extremely well-fed, and then he has this dream about seven cows, cows that are quite gaunt. The complete opposite of the seven cows that he had just dreamed about. Then he has a second dream. We go from cows to grain. So maybe this was a night of pasta? I don't know. Uh, there's seven stalks of grain that are quite healthy. They're vibrant. You can tell they've been well-watered, well-fed. And then there are seven stalks which are thin and scorched. 
Again, the complete opposite. We have seven well-fed cows, seven gaunt cows, seven stalks of grain that look vibrant and healthy, seven stalks of grain that are thin and scorched. And Pharaoh is left scratching his head. He wakes up in the morning thinking, huh, that was weird. What do I think about this dream that I just had? Now, remember... Our boy Joseph is in jail. He has been there for how many years? All right, good, you're tracking. I'm not sure. I'm usually, um, my church begins at 10 a.m., so I didn't know. Like, Rob's like, hey, we meet at 9. I'm like, are people awake at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning? No idea. Uh, so Joseph is in jail. Two years he's there. And I believe last week you looked at the cupbearer of Pharaoh who had conveniently forgotten Joseph. All of a sudden, he remembers, oh, wait a second, you had a dream? Well, Joseph is your man. Because Joseph knows a thing or two about dreams. And so we're going to pick up the story. Genesis 41, verse 14. Here is what we are told. Pharaoh sent for Joseph. He was quickly brought from the dungeon when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. We could do like four hours about this verse. So much here in this. You know the phrase I want to look at? Changed his clothes. Now you probably, that was like a throwaway line for you. You're like, changed his clothes, all right, whatever. Makes sense. There is so much depth packed into this one phrase. Because if you know the story of Joseph, you know that every single time he went through a clothing change, whether it was a wardrobe malfunction or if someone had gifted him with a robe, you know that it was a source of misfortune for him. I mean, think about this early, early in the story. He's gifted this robe. How did that go? No, not, not, not so great for him. Uh, his brothers became jealous. They took the robe, threw him into a pit, which is another costume change. He was given the robe, then it was taken from him. Then he ends up in Potiphar's house. His clothes, his cloak was taken by Potiphar's wife, which that then landed him in prison. So every single time there is a clothing change in the story of Joseph, up until this point in the story, it has caused some type of misfortune, some type of suffering, we could say, for Joseph. So if we go here to the next slide, we see that the clothing changes in the story of Joseph, they are symbolic for a scene change. We have one act, one scene, clothing change. We move to the next scene, clothing change to the next scene. We are entering, every time there's a clothing change, we are entering into a new season of Joseph's life. So when we are told here in verse 14 that his clothing was changed and he was given something else to wear so that he was presentable before he went into Pharaoh's presence— you are probably wondering, because you are an astute reader of Scripture, you're probably thinking to yourself, whoa, here we go again. Every single time there's been a clothing, something bad has happened. What could possibly go wrong for Joseph now? Now, let's keep going in the story a little bit. 
Uh, here we are, Genesis 41, the next verse, chapter 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one came to see who Joseph was in his younger years. Uh, what are we? Genesis 37, I believe, verse 5. Joseph had a dream. This is very, very early on in the story of Joseph. If you remember back from three, four weeks ago, uh, if you were here, I believe this is where, what you looked at. Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Joseph was given this robe by his father, blessing him with this special status, the favored child. Now he has a dream. His brothers are already upset with him because he has this coat. They have nothing. Then he has this dream and he says, hey, guys, brothers, hey, everyone, gather around. Remember, he's the youngest one. Everyone is like... I, don't know, I was going to say two feet taller. I don't know if it was that's true or not, but everyone's a little bit bigger than him. They've been to the gym. Joseph is this scrawny guy, and he says, hey, listen to this dream. We, all of us, were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. <laughs> I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old. They know how to get under each other's skin. You know, yes. If you have kids, you know. If you have a brother or sister, you know. You know exactly what to say that is going to pester them and annoy them to no end. Your kids know how to do this to their brother or sister. How do you think this dream's going to go over? I mean, Joseph, what are you thinking? Your brothers already don't like you. Now you're going to tell them about this dream where they all essentially bow down to you? And his brother said, of course, I mean, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him even more, as if they didn't hate him enough already. They hated him even more because of this dream and what he had said. We'll keep going in the story, because Joseph doesn't learn. Remember, this is a wisdom story. Joseph doesn't learn. He had another dream. Instead of keeping his mouth shut, which would be the wise thing to do, right? He told it to his brothers. Hey, guys, <laughs> I know what I told you yesterday. Well, guess what? I had another one. I had another dream. Listen, let me tell you how this one went. Uh, this time, the sun and the moon and 11 stars, he has 11 brothers, <laughs> were all bowing down to me. Joseph. Joseph, come, like, come on, man. Like, whew, really? And then this is what caused all of his misfortunes. Brothers hated him, threw him in a pit, sold him. He ends up... In Egypt, this is a younger version of Joseph. This is an immature version of Joseph. Uh, a couple words that I think would describe Joseph are he's arrogant, he's boastful, he's prideful, impulsive, reckless, he is ego driven. Yeah, this is Joseph in the beginning of the story. He's gifted something, and he has no idea what to do with that which he has received. He's trying to lord it over those who are around him. Now, this reminds me a bit of Star Wars. Because you all saw that coming, right? You knew that's where we were going? Do we have any uh, Star Wars fans? All right. Now... If you think about Luke Skywalker 
in the beginning of the original trilogy, he's a bit of a complainer. <laughs> he's not the most likable character. Then he hears that he has Jedi powers. There's something about the Force that is beginning to awaken within him. He goes to train with the great Jedi Master Yoda. He writes Yoda off. He's like, who is this scrawny, green little man in front of me? He writes him off. He ends up in this cave with Yoda, in Yoda's little hut. And he is so annoyed that he's there because his X-Wing has, has crashed in the swamp. He's in this little hut. He's with this green little man. He's annoyed to know him because he thinks he is this great Jedi. And everything that he's experiencing is beneath him. You ever been there before? Where you feel as if you're better than your circumstances. You're better than the situation that you're going through. So we have this encounter, and it doesn't look like this video is actually playing, but what, what happens here is he hears the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi, this mentor, this person that he has looked up to for a time. He hears the voice. All of a sudden, his eyes are open. He realizes Yoda is this great Jedi master. Yoda doesn't want to train him because he's like Joseph. He's arrogant. He's reckless. He's impulsive. He's immature. He has the gift, but he doesn't know how to use it properly. And so Luke screams out, I am ready. Ben, Ben, I can be a Jedi. Tell him I'm a Jedi. And what happens actually in this scene is he gets so excited, he goes to stand up and he bumps his head against the roof of the hut because Yoda is small and he is big. And his impulsiveness ends up causing a little bit of harm to his head. Uh, he's embarrassed a little bit. I mean, that, that's Joseph. He's ready to go, but yet he doesn't really know how to exercise his power in a healthy, wise way. You know, I can, I can relate to this story. I started a church, as I mentioned, about 15 years ago. When I began this church, I had delusions of grandeur. <laughs> This thing was going to be massive. People were going to flock through the doors. We're going to be hiring staff left and right. A couple of months into it, I'd look out, there'd be five people. <laughs> the next week, four people. Half of them were my family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes you got to be humbled a bit. Sometimes you've got to be knocked down. You've been gifted something, whatever that blessing is that you've received, but you don't know how to exercise it in a true, grace-filled, humble way. This is the story of Luke. It's the story of Joseph. Now, in order to make this point really, really clear— the author of Genesis describes Joseph in an, a very particular way. Here's how Joseph is described in chapter 37. Joseph, a young man of 17. Now, some of the ancient rabbis, they looked at this scripture, they looked at this description of Joseph, and they began scratching their heads a little bit, saying, hmm, this is odd, 
because essentially young man is the Hebrew word meaning youth. So if we're already told that Joseph is a youth, why do we also have to say that he's 17? We already know that he's a youth. And so here's how one Jewish rabbi wrapped his head around this verse. And this was uh, in the first century. He was 17 years old, yet the text already says that he was a youth. But this means he did deeds of youthful foolishness. When we begin the story of Joseph, he is exercising youthful foolishness, arrogance, impulsiveness. He's exerting his ego, which then raises the question for all of us as we read this, which the question is, the question is, ah, there we go. Can you relate? You ever been there before? Think back to your earlier self. What were you like when you were 17? And if you're 17 this morning, I don't know how old you are. You look maybe about 17. Of course, I'm not talking about you. But what were you like? An earlier version of yourself. When I was about 13, 14 years old, I grew up in New York, lived in New York my entire life. My grandmother from North Carolina came to visit. It was a Saturday morning. I was up early. She was up early. Everyone else was sleeping in the house. She says, you want to go make some pancakes? All right. That sounds like a great way to greet Saturday morning. But we don't have any pancake mix. So we have to go to the grocery store in order to go and get pancakes. And I tell her, okay, I know where the car is parked. Why don't I go pull the car up for us? And then you can go drive to the grocery store. Remember, I'm about 13 or 14 years old at the time. She's like, David, can, can you drive? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course I can drive. Yeah, I do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my parents let me do it like, every day. I mean, this is like nothing. I have a picture of the car that we used to have. I mean, years of therapy just having this car as a teenager. <laughs> Both me and my sister, if my mom who drove this car dropped us off at school, we would make her pick us up like a block away. Like, Mom, don't let our friends see you pick us up in that car. I mean, literally, we would hide in those bucket seats in the back to, as we passed everyone because... Oh my gosh, if anyone were to see us in that car, you know how embarrassing that would be? So this was the car that I told my grandmother I could drive. <laughs> we, our house was here. Uh, we had a neighbor's house. Her driveway was basically right up against our driveway. She was an elderly woman who was widowed. She did not like the fact that her driveway was not filled with cars. She didn't have a garage, didn't have a husband, no one was there with her. She felt more comfortable by having us park our car in her driveway. It just made it look like there were more people in her home. Now what she had at the end of her driveway, she had a carport. A carport is this structure with three walls. You have two sides and then you have a roof, a ceiling, so that the car parked underneath would be covered and wouldn't get rained on or snowed on. So that meant that there was no wall in the front, no wall in the back. You just kind of drive this car through, you park it right there under the roof, and then you can just pull it right out to the driveway, to the street, to wherever you have to go. 
She hands me the keys to this vehicle. I walk across my driveway to the neighbor's driveway, walk to the carport, open the car up, because I know how to unlock a car as a 13-year-old. I get into the driver's seat. Like My legs aren't reaching the pedals, yet I don't know how to adjust the seat because I've never sat in a car before, in the driver's seat before. Now, the place where you go to adjust, where you move things from part to, it was there on the, on, by, on the steering wheel. This is like really old school, so if you're like 1985 or after, you probably don't know about these things. Uh, but if you go back, that, you have those column shifts. I had no idea how to work the thing. I turned the car on because I could figure that out. And then I moved the gear shift I didn't really know that you were supposed to hit the brake at the same time while you were shifting. I, I move it a little bit, and all of a sudden the car starts to move. The reason being is because there was a divot where the car was parked. I guess the wheels had sort of worked the, the driveway down a little bit and created some sort of a divot because that's where the car sat all the time. And you have a car as heavy as this thing, it would begin to put pressure on the driveway a little bit. I freaked out the fact that, oh my goodness, like the car is moving. What do I do? What do I do? I look down at the pedals and I just take my foot and just press as hard as I possibly can. The car was in reverse. The carport was... F- five, ten feet away from my neighbor's house. Which direction do you think the car moved in? Back towards the house. I peeled out because I had pressed the gas so hard (laughs) and went flying into my neighbor's house. (laughs) You want to know the funny part about it? I dented the house, not the car. Best pancakes of my life. Although yesterday's pancakes were better, though. Thanks to Jared. Saw him out here, back there. Yeah, uh, you know, didn't even wake the neighbor up. She slept right through that. My parents come right, like, we thought there was an accident up the street somewhere. Yeah, youthful acts of foolishness. You ever been there before? You ever find yourself being a young man, a young woman of 17. I mean, this is Joseph. Now, if we go to the next slide. Joseph, in the beginning of the story, he is gifted a richly ornamented robe. What did this robe signify? You are special. You're favored. You're blessed above all of your brothers. You know what this is? Too much too soon. Because Joseph didn't have the character or the wisdom to sustain this gift that he was given. He was given a blessing. He was told, your your future, you're going to do something with your life, with your future. And Jacob, it's like giving the keys of a Maserati to a 16-year-old. You just... There's some things you're just like, what possibly was Jacob doing? Now, as I thought about this, you know what this made me think of too much too soon? 
child stars? Or what about sports stars? All this talent, all this skill, fame, money, notoriety, but not having built the character or the wisdom to handle that well. I started doing a little bit of research. I wanted to find a great quote by a child star who had risen beyond it, who had gone through it, and had learned, who come out on the other side. I found a great quote that I want to read from you from, let's play a little trivia, name this actor. Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe. Here's what he has to say about achieving fame at a younger age. Ultimately, the hardest thing about growing up in the spotlight, it's not the easy access to drugs or the strange sort of pandering world you enter into. He's saying all that is secondary. This is kind of what we think of when we think of child stars, but he's saying, you know what? All that is secondary. Here's the real thing. Here's the real danger. The difficulty is trying to work out who you are while constantly coming up against a perception of yourself that everybody else already has. The hard part is figuring out who you are, what your life is meant to be. I think it's very important, especially when you become famous young or when you're giving a, given a robe at a young age, to work out who you are without fame, without that as part of your identity, because that will go. As I thought about this quote, I thought about the story of Joseph, I realized two things. Here's what the story of Joseph is about. It's about a man who's figuring out who he is figuring out his identity. And it's about a man who is trying to figure out what to do with the power, the blessing that he's been given. And I realized this isn't just Joseph's story. This is our story. His story is our story. See, we're all here this morning there's a few questions I'm sure that we're asking. But two questions I think we're all asking are, first, who will you become? See, a, a question for all of us, and here's the truth. No matter how old you are, you never stop becoming someone because we're all in the process of becoming we're all on a journey. You never end that journey. The journey just continues one step at a time. So with the journey that you're walking, who are you becoming? What's your identity? And then a second question for us is, what will you do with the one precious life you've been given? I believe these are two questions that we're all asking. So when we come to the story of Joseph, where we are today, in chapter 41, here's how Joseph answers Pharaoh in verse 14. 
Pharaoh sent, quickly brought from the dungeons. He, he's given another chance here. And let's go to the next slide. Joseph says, well, keep, let's go to the next slide first. I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Joseph is now being given another chance. We had the younger self. He was gifted a robe. A robe was placed on him. And now some new presentable clothes are being placed on him. Clothes are no longer being taken from him. That's how the story begins. Something is placed on him. He didn't handle it well. He was too young, too immature, too reckless, too ego-driven. So those clothes kept getting taken away, which was a a symbol of being humbled. But now he's given another chance. And I want to give you here this morning five ways that Joseph avoided the pitfalls of his younger self. Here's the first way. Joseph learned the source of true wisdom. I cannot do it, but God can. In the beginning, who was the interpreter of the dream? Whether it was right or wrong, Joseph made it all about him. Hey, brothers, let me tell you about this dream. He knows what he's doing. It was all about himself. Now we come to this point where it's still about dreams, because the Joseph story is about dreams, But now he's learned, it's not about my interpretation, it's about trusting God's interpretation. And let's actually go back one more time. I want to show you one more thing about that verse. I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. You know what? Joseph is saying, I don't have the answer right now. But I trust that God will reveal the answer in the right time. Yeah, Joseph has learned the true source of wisdom. He's learned to trust. All of his past experiences have brought him here to this moment. It's as if he's passed the test. In the beginning, mm, now here he is. I can't do it. But God will reveal to Pharaoh. Next slide. Story continues. Now, after Joseph interprets the dream, he says this to Pharaoh. Let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They shall collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. Notice what Joseph says here. Hey, Pharaoh, here's what you should do. Go put a wise and discerning man in charge. Next slide. Second thing Joseph did to avoid the pitfalls. He allowed his suffering to transform him for the better. We looked at this a little yesterday, the men's breakfast, as we were eating pancakes. Our suffering can make us bitter or better. For Joseph, he allowed his suffering to transform him for the better. Egypt and its people were the source of his pain. He had toiled in Egypt for years. 
God had granted him the interpretation of this dream, he could have set that interpretation to the side and told Pharaoh, hey, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be great, knowing full well that in seven years the country was going to go through hardship. He didn't do that. He chose not to bring pain upon those who had brought suffering into his life. Joseph allowed his suffering to transform him for the better. We all have this choice because we've all been hurt. We know what it's like to be betrayed. We know what it's like for others to speak harsh words, stinging words over us. We know what it's like to be rejected by family, by those we trust more than anyone else. And we have a choice. Will those moments, will we rise above them and trust God in those moments? Or will we use our power to get even with those who have done us harm? I came across this great quote a couple of weeks back. It's by a psychologist, Dr. Edith Eager. She's a Holocaust survivor. She wrote a book. It was her memoirs about her experience. And here's what she says. And this is someone who knows some of the greatest atrocities in the world. She writes in her memoir, it's the first time I see we have a choice. We could pay attention to what we've lost or pay attention to what we still have. We have a choice. Will we move forward in healing, extending grace and love and mercy? Will we move forward, we could say, in the way of Jesus? Or will we allow our pain to bring us down into the pit with Joseph? Yeah, we have a choice with what we will pay attention to. Here's the third way that Joseph avoided his younger mistakes. He offered his gift in service to others. Notice, he didn't make it about himself. He didn't say, hey, Pharaoh, because I interpreted this dream, you should put me in charge. Earlier, Joseph would have done this. Can we all agree? Hey, here's the deal. I'm wise. I'm discerning. If you put me in charge, I'll give you the answer that you're looking for. <laughs> he had the two mixed up earlier. Now he's saying, okay, let me give you the dream, the interpretation of it, and then choose someone who is wise who will protect you and the land. He's not seeking honor or reward or power. In his earlier days, it's as if he was seeking that power. He wanted more and more of it. Now he's letting it go, and he's entrusting himself to God because he realizes that God has been carrying through every step he's taken. This reminds me of the path of Jesus. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Jesus had this power 
the son of God. But he didn't use it in a way that brought blessing and reward to himself. He used his power, what he had, to bring blessing to us. Grace, love, and mercy to this world. To bring healing and salvation to our lives. This is the wisdom that Joseph grew in as well. Protect your people. Put someone wise in charge. Jesus, uh, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. This parallels the story of Joseph. We go to the next slide. We keep going with Joseph's story. We come to find here, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph is elevated to a position of power. At this point in the story, he wasn't seeking it, but it was handed to him. And then watch what happens next. I love this. Hereby put you in charge of the whole land. Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on, his, on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in what? There's that costume change again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what are we at, the fourth way that he avoided his younger pitfalls? Maybe it's the fifth way, I forget. Go to the next slide. Joseph learned to be faithful to what was in front of him in each moment. I told you there'd be some Sundays where there'd be seven people at church when I started. And I would go home depressed. Like, should I keep doing this thing? Why am I going through this each week for five people or seven people? But then I had a realization. That's what God has given me in this moment. And I could be angry about it. I could be upset. I could be bitter about it. I could throw in the towel or... I could be faithful to those seven people that were there. And I could pour out the best of myself to the seven people that were sitting there on a Sunday morning. Joseph learned, you be faithful to that which is in front of you. Sometimes we want to be 10, 15, 20 steps down the road thinking, well, that's what I'm meant to do. I've been gifted this, so I deserve. That's entitlement, and that's just going to bring more bitterness to your heart. <laughs> you remain faithful to that which is in front of you in this moment. And you trust that God will continue providing more in God's way, however that might look. And then I think we have a fifth way, do we? Oh yeah, we got one more way. Love this. A little later in the story. Uh, before the years of famine, two sons were born to Joseph. He named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. Put that on pause for next week. I think Rob will get there next week. Uh, then he has a second son. He named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Fifth way. 
Joseph avoided the pitfalls of his younger self. He had a heart of gratitude. The names of his sons, they evoked praise to the God who had carried him through all of his hardships. Here's the truth. What you look for, you will find. What you pay attention to will grow. If you look for reasons to be grateful, you'll find them, and your heart will grow. If you look for reasons to be bitter and upset, you'll find that as well, and there's plenty of those reasons. But the truth is, your heart's only going to shrink. Gratitude, your heart's going to grow. Joseph, gratitude. Completely different person than who we found four chapters ago. So let's wrap this up with three questions, three take-home questions for us. Here's the first question. Where have you been granted power, influence, or authority? Disclaimer, maybe you're thinking, well, I, I don't have any influence. I have no power. You don't know anything about my life. I guarantee you, you have influence somewhere. Go to the next slide. Maybe it's your place of employment. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Raising children, a stay-at-home dad. Raising children, man, the amount of influence you have on young lives Maybe it's not a place of work and you think, am I making a difference in the world? Well, you're raising kids. Yeah, you're making a difference in the world. That matters. How you do it matters. Oh, go back one more slide. Sorry, a little ahead of me there, Gabe. Uh, what about the coffee shop, your neighborhood? Every single person that you speak with, every interaction that you have, it's a place of influence. How you're speaking to people, it matters. I mentioned we have a six-year-old son at home. We are teaching him about influence at school, specifically influence on the bus. You ever remember uh, they had these T-shirts, everything I learned about life I learned on the bus. So true. Never thought about that younger. Now I'm a parent. I'm like, oh my gosh. But there's this one rowdy kid on the bus, and the bus driver is constantly pull I think the bus driver actually hit something the other week. We're like, are you telling me she ran into something because this kid was so rowdy? And he's like, yeah. We're like, well, what did you do? He's like, I was out of my seat as well. We're like, you need to try to calm your friend down a little bit. He's six, but we're trying to teach him, you have influence wherever you go. You have power. We're trying to teach this at a very young age. Here's a second question for us. How are you using your power? How are you using the blessings, the gifts that you've been given? Genesis 1, how does God create the world? Through words. Your words matter. It's been said, words create worlds. What world are you creating through your words? You have no control what anyone does with the world that you create. Look at Genesis 1. God has no control. God creates out of abundance and out of joy. The words we speak carry power. So how are you using your power? And then a third final question for us this morning. Are there any new ways you can wisely exercise your power? Any ways in which you've been hiding your gifts? Any ways in which you have been reckless with the coat that you have been handed? 
Well, this morning, are there any new ways you can wisely exercise your power? Let me pray for us here this morning. God, we come to you today, and God, like Joseph, we desire a heart that is wise. God, sometimes we have been gifted certain blessings, certain power, and we don't exercise those blessings in the ways in which you desire for us to use them. So God, I pray that as Joseph grew in his faith in you, as Joseph grew in his trust, God, I ask that we would be people who would grow in our trust of you. God, that we would see your hand in every area of our lives. God, that we would come to see that you have been carrying us every step we've taken, wherever that step has brought us. So may you give us a heart of gratitude. God, may you give us a heart and an awareness for how we are using the life that we have been gifted with. And like Joseph, may we be people who use our gifts to bring blessing, salvation to the world. May we proclaim Jesus through our lives. God, may we not walk the path of bitterness or getting even, but may we transform our sufferings so that it unites us with others who are suffering. And like Jesus, may we look after the good of others so that others may come to know Christ in their lives. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.